You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here on this Sunday. Now, we've been in this series for five weeks now. This is our fifth week of spring cleaning where we are trying to clear out the clutter in our lives and make more room for Jesus. In the first week, we talked about getting rid of the good things in life that can become distractions to allow the greatness of God's goodness into our lives. That was week one. And week two, we talked about uh, sweeping out the anxiety that so easily fills us these days and instead being granted and making room for God's patience, waiting on him and understanding how that improves our character and grows us to be more like Jesus himself. In our third week, we looked at the chronic guilt that can linger in our lives and how we can clean that out by swimming in and bathing in the ocean of God's grace and forgiveness. Last week, we looked at how shame can become so toxic and paralyze us that we are fearful or of being exposed and we get down on ourselves and focused on ourselves. And instead, we want to replace that with God's honor and glory and goodness that he sees us and how he shines his light upon us and looks at us and is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed of you in any way. So that was last week. This week, we're kind of summing it all up, putting it all together, seeing it's really not this little piecemeal thing and that little piecemeal thing that we need to uh, get out of our lives. But from Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at how the whole self, the old self, is removed and how we put on a new self in Jesus Christ. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your work in our lives these days. We do pray right now for our community and our nation and our world as we are all undergoing this pandemic and as we are still facing it, we pray, Lord God, that you would truly be with those who are on the front line, those frontline workers, those essential workers who so often were working behind the scenes, but now we see how integral their ministry is. We lift up to our healthcare professionals. We lift up to all those who serve in the hospitals. We lift up to, O oh Lord, our first responders who are risking their lives for your sake right now, for the sake of others. And we pray, Lord, too, for the essential workers in all sorts of fields that are involved out in the public at this point in time. We ask, O Lord, that you give wisdom and guidance to our leaders, both locally and nationally, so that as we take steps forward to reopening, Lord, that we do it in humility, in understanding, in compassion. Lord, you know the divisiveness that is in our nation that is plaguing us right now with a lot, uh, a lot of rhetoric and a lot of us themness going on. We pray, Lord, that uh, at least in the church, that we are unified and we show and model that unity with a diversity of people and opinions, Lord. We still focus on your truth and your goodness, and we place you first others second and ourselves third, that we understand that that's what true joy is and true service is and help us, Lord, model to our community and world how we can, even in our freedom, 
serve others and consider others better than ourselves, more important than just our needs right now. Lord God, we lift up to you all these needs. We lift up to you those who are really facing difficult times financially, who are unemployed, who are needing you right now. We lift up to you those who are in fear, O oh Lord, yet of what this pandemic might mean for them or for their family. We lift up those who need your healing presence right now. And we lift up, O oh Lord, um, our church and your Christian church, Lord, that we thrive, we flourish during this time, that you do work in us behind the scenes in whatever way you want, and that you give us the creativity, O oh Lord, to face this challenge, to face it with courage, with faith, with understanding, with humility, with compassion, with patience, with the full character of Jesus Christ. And bless, O oh Lord, this message today that it would really sink into my heart and life and into our hearts and lives, Lord, that you'd open our ears and our heart to what you have to say to us today. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new self as Paul talks about that in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And here we look at chapter 4, verse 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So from this text, for this, the culmination of the spring, series, uh, spring cleaning series, we're going to learn these four points about the change that God brings about, kind of how he cleans house for us. And that is that the, there is a decisive change. It is also a mindful change, a daily change, and finally a devotional change. First of all, we're going to look at a decisive change. And this comes up in the language that Paul uses at the end of this passage, where he talks about how we put off the old self and we put on the new self. And at first glance, when you read that, you might think, oh, my goodness, Paul's telling us, I got to do this now. It hasn't been done yet, and I better do it now and get it over with and do it well today because I haven't gotten there yet. But that's not the way the language comes out in the Greek text by any means. It's, and, and I'll give the translators some credit here. And it's difficult to translate this passage because that verb, the verbs that are used here to put off your old self and to put on the new self are in a tense that we don't have in our English language. It is called a, the errorist tense. That is errorist infinitive, to put off. And what does errorist mean? Well, it basically is that it happened in the past at a decisive moment, historical moment, but it has implications and a present reality about it, that it's not just back then, but it impacts everything in the future as well. That's a tense we don't have in English. 
So what Paul is saying is that you have learned that your old self was put off, to put off that old self and to put on the new self that it happened in the past. It's done and gone. It's changed everything. And you really can't go back to it. That's what you've been taught. Now, you might be going like, well, um, when did it happen? How do I know? And I'll tell you, the Bible will give you a couple of instances of how it has happened in your past. First of all, it happened one Friday when God made the decisive change in all of human history and changed it all through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that one fateful day, all the old self of all the human race was placed on Jesus and put to death. And then a whole new self was raised to life through his resurrection. And you might say, okay, 2,000 years ago it happened. But when did it happen for me? I mean, it happened for you when you came to faith, when you believed in the gospel. It happened for you when God moved you and made the decision over your life and brought you to faith to move you from before to after. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans where he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So it happened objectively on that one Friday and happened in your life when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You heard the gospel, that old self was put off, the new self was put on, and you have a whole new life. Everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Or how Paul says as well in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in Romans chapter 6, he also says it happened decisively and effectively at your baptism. Because right before Romans 6, 6, he writes this, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is a past tense reality. No matter what you've experienced, what you think or what you've felt, reality and truth. It's kind of like how um, many of you, when you decided to get married, there was a decision that was made. But the decisive moment of when that actually happened, that you became married, was when someone said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Do you understand? And all of a sudden, there was a before and there is an after. And boy, has that not made a big difference, huh? Exactly. So God connected you directly, intimately, completely to the life of Jesus Christ so that his life is yours, his death is yours, his resurrection is yours. And again, Paul says this in Galatians, as many of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. You have a whole new life given to you in Jesus Christ. And that decisive change has happened. Now, you might have received your baptism as an adult after you have believed and you then were putting on Christ, united with him in faith. You may have been baptized as a child where God placed his name upon you, where God gave you a whole new identity in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter the time, the place, the age, but that it happened. And I'm not going to tell you when you have to have had that happen in your life, but that you just need that to happen. 
okay? It's not about your feelings. It's not about your experience. It's not your decision. It's God's decision over your life. It's by grace you have been saved. He has given a decisive break to you between your past and your present reality. Now you might say, but don't I have to do something, you know, to make it happen? Don't I need to say something about this? Don't I at least have to do my part to make it real? Now, I'd ask you to look at the texts. Romans 6, 1 through 7, some of which we read. Galatians chapter 3, which we referred to. Ephesians 4, which is our text. And Colossians 3. Look at all those texts and find anywhere in there where it says, you got to do your part first. You got to do your part at all. Or the fact that you have to do something to earn it in any form. No, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. You don't renew yourself. You don't make yourself new. It is God's decision over you. Gerhard Ferdi had a, a astute observation about human uh, nature. He says, we all need... Um, we have a rather incurable tendency always to refuse to really listen to God's words and instead to translate them immediately into something we are going to do indeed that we can do. You know, we often take things like these passages, okay, I've got to do it now. I've got to make it happen. And why do I want to be part of that and do it? Because I want to stay the center of my life. I want to be the captain of my soul and the master of my fate. And I want to make the decision and I want to make the difference. And that's part of the problem in the first place. That's the old self that needs to go away. You don't need to have your life centered on you. You need it centered on God. God needs to be the center of your life on the throne of your heart. He's the one, the end all and be all. And boy, that's the change between the old and the new. And that's what has been done when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, when you were clothed with Christ, when you put on Christ, when Christ was placed over you and the old was cast away. That's the decisive change from old to new. And then Paul says it's not just a decisive change, but you need a mindful change because it's not just something that happened. It's kind of like, okay, now I've got the ticket. It's in my pocket. Whenever I want to use it, it's there. Or I've got the little certificate. When I was baptized, boom, I put it in a drawer and I can pull it out. Oh, you know, I don't know, never. And uh, that's not what the change is. It's not like something that happened and it has nothing to do with my life or my mind or my attitude. No, it is a mindful change that takes place. Because Paul says to the Ephesians that that has happened. He says at the beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, Here's some irony with this. I don't know if you see it, but the Ephesians were Gentiles. So what is he saying? He's saying, don't act like the Gentile. He's like, I am a Gentile, but I'm not supposed to act. He's saying, don't act like you used to. Don't think like you used to in the futility of your mind. As the Gentiles do. All of a sudden, you're not just what you used to be. Maybe you've heard this metaphor before. Don't ask a fish to tell you what water is like. Don't ask a fish to write a paper on water because a fish, if he could talk to you, would look at you and say, what's water? <laughs> because people who need to change don't realize they need to change. 
They don't realize the water that they're swimming in. Until you get out of that water, you don't realize what the water is really like. So Paul says, don't be like the Gentiles, like you used to be living in the futility of your minds. You don't know at that point what you didn't know. You didn't realize how anxious you were until you stepped out of that anxiety. You didn't realize how much of your life was just a waste of time going through rituals and routines and chasing after things that don't last until you stopped. You didn't realize how your life was filled with busyness until you had rest in God. You don't recognize how you, what you were pursuing and chasing after really didn't matter, didn't make any difference until you stopped doing it. Think about this. What trophies, what awards have you ever received that will really matter to you when you turn 80 years old? Right? How many people on their deathbeds regret that they didn't make more money? Oh, I should have made a lot more money. They don't say that. How many people look back after they retire and say, you know, I should have spent more time in the office than I did? Are the things that you are pursuing really futile, a waste of time? Are they just diversions rather than having any, any eternal significance? Now, you can name a lot more people and how they spend their times and their futility in what I would call our modern consumer industrial complex. Spend, 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 consume, 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 enjoy, 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 but to what end? For what goal? And Paul says, don't live like that anymore. There's no reason to live like that anymore. You've already put off that old life. You have now put on a new life of purpose and meaning and identity and, and love and grace and beauty and glory in Jesus Christ. That's how you can live now. You see, there's a huge difference. People might say, well, why do you think I need to change? I, I have a good life and I believe that God exists. But there's a huge difference between believing that there is a God and knowing who that God is. There's a huge difference between um, having some vague idea of what God is like and having confidence in the goodness of God and the grace of God and the promises of God. A huge difference. It's the difference between knowing there is somewhere in your community a doctor and knowing that doctor by name and having the doctor's phone number and having that doctor know you as her patient and being able to go and have access to the doctor anytime you need. There's a huge difference between knowing somewhere out in the desert that you're in, there is an oasis where you can get your needs met and being in the middle of that oasis and having access to all of those things that you would need. That's the difference between knowing about some kind of God and knowing who God is and what he's about. So Paul says that's the mindful change to move from the futility that you used to live by into the purposefulness and the identity that you have in Jesus Christ. There's no reason to go back. There's no reason to have that anymore. Thirdly, he says, it's a daily change. Paul talks 
Like I said, in this text about that put off, put on, which is that errorist infinitive, which is a past reality that happened historically, objectively, and that became effective when you received it through faith by grace. And now he also, in the middle of that verse, where he talks about putting off and putting on in the past errorist tense, he talks this, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, a very unique phrase. And this verb is in the present progressive passive tense. I know. Woo! English grammar this morning. But present passive progressive. It's something that happens to you right now all the time. It's an unusual phrase. So Paul would say it's not a one and done situation. It's not like having a ticket that you put away in the drawer. It's that you bring that ticket out every day and realize what that means and the significance of it. It's not just back then. It is present now and it's something you live into every day, your new identity. Martin Luther, who was a reformer in the Christian church 500 years ago, kind of understood both that objective reality of what happened at the cross with Jesus, how we objectively were forgiven our sin, and how that became personal through faith, and how daily it was renewed every day at the same time. That he knew that his baptism wasn't something that just happened in the past, but was a present reality and his present identity every day. And so what he said is that baptism means that the old Adam in us should be drowned by daily sorrow and repentance and die with all sins and evil lusts. And in turn, a new person should daily come forth and rise from death again to live forever before God in righteousness and purity. It's not about just saying, okay, I've got it, now it's done, I can move on. It's about living in the present reality and starting all over again in the identity every morning that God's mercies are new for you. And in the morning, you realize there is no condemnation over you. In the morning, you are saved by God's grace and living in that forgiveness. And you live in that new identity. And it becomes more and more a fit that you are living in the new self, that new robe of righteousness that Christ has given you, that you become more and more progressively, passively being renewed into, in the spirit of your mind, into your life of who Jesus is. So daily we are renewed. And finally, devotionally, we need to change. What do I mean by devotionally? You got to change who you worship who you worship. Because you see, your problem, my problem is not stuff or things. It's me. It's me. The ultimate problem, Chad Bird said, is not that I, we lack self-esteem, but that we are engrossed in ourselves. We are so caught up in ourselves. We are so wrapped up in ourselves. That's what the feudal life is really all about. I worship me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity that Madison Avenue markets to and Hollywood promotes and Washington elevates and Wall Street invests in. That's what our whole society is worshiping. It's a bunch of self-worship that we are seeing in the news every day where people are claiming their rights and demanding it to go their way in whatever way they want. Wanted, but it's all about me, myself, and I. And we need a devotional change because worshiping yourself doesn't work, by the way. It's extremely self-destructive, not only to your relationships, but to yourself. 
because I don't play God well. Only God can be truly the center of my life. And when God, when I am outside of myself and I center myself on God rather than myself, that's when I am filled with all good things. That's when I have a purposeful perspective in life. We need a devotional change. You know, I stated at the beginning of this series, making room for Jesus and getting rid of the clutter. The biggest problem is not this or that aspect of my life, but it's me being the center and being controlling and trying to be in charge of it all and having everyone around me orbit around me. You see, when Jesus came to this world, he did not come just to take care of this sin or that sin or to teach us a few pointers about this part of our lives or to give us the power to kind of move our own life along or improve ourselves. It's not about self-improvement. It's about a whole new you. Because what he took on was not just that idea or this idea. He took on the burdens of our all whole old self and our own self-centeredness. And when he went to the cross, it was all upon him. And it took himself giving up all of himself divesting himself of everything, as the book of Philippians says, that he emptied himself. He poured himself out. There was no self left in Jesus and the death on the cross. It wasn't the physical torture of that day. It wasn't even the emotional torture of all of the people deriding him and shaming him and yelling and screaming at him and rejecting him. It wasn't the emotional torture of his disciples abandoning him. It was the psychic torture, the spiritual torture of emptying himself of everything, all his glory, all his honor, all his praise. But it, that's what it would take, the cross. It would take the death to self, to himself, in order to give you a whole new life. And when you start to understand what Jesus did for you, it's easy to stop being so self-obsessed and starting to be in awe and wonder at the sacrifice and the love that God shows you. And the Father glorifies the Son and says, He is the name above every name. And then Jesus turns around and glorifies the Father and the Spirit witnesses to both. They don't even center themselves on themselves, but they're always in perfect community of love and they invite us into it so we don't have to center our lives on us. That's a futile way of living, of accumulating and grabbing and holding on to and wanting. But instead, we get to live the new self clothed in Christ, with the attitude and mind of Christ, with the spirit of Christ living through us to live for others, to serve others, to make an impact for others. I believe the Christian church right now in the United States will move away from this consumer self-centeredness that we have seen into a self-sacrifice and self-giving and self-donation for the sake of others. And that's the church that needs to rise up at this time and be about not promoting itself, but giving of itself to its community. That's what it means to clean house, to clean up, to have a spring cleaning. You don't need to keep living that old self of emptiness and deceit and futility, Paul says. 
It's dead and gone. You get to live this new self. And we, as a community, get to experience that new self every time we give and receive, every time that we encourage and uplift, every time we forgive, every time we are patient with each other, every time that we celebrate with each other, every time we rejoice with each other, every time we even weep with each other, every time we lift up and intercede for each other, every time we love one another. Those are the ways that we are living out this new self. That's the spring cleaning God is doing. You have a whole new self to live into. It's beautiful. It's loving. It's merciful. So you've had a decisive change. It's a mindful change. It's a daily change. And it is a devotional change. Let's pray. Lord God, this day, we thank you for the work that you're doing. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we come to a deeper understanding of what is dead and gone, what has been placed in the grave, what never needs to come back, and that you raise up in us that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, in the character of Christ, and we live in that character, Lord, and progressively each day become more loving, more patient, more giving, more serving, more joy-filled, Lord. That's the life you have for us. Even now in the midst of the chaos and anxiety and selfishness we see around ourselves, Lord, right now in our community, make us the lights that shine in that darkness. We lift up to you, O Lord. There are a lot of people who are dealing with physical ailments and situations in our community. And so during this time, O Lord, when a lot of surgeries have been um, put on hold as we were dealing with the emergency of COVID-19 first and foremost, we pray now that as these new surgeries come back in and other elective surgeries are taking place, that you'd be with all those. So thank you, Lord, for Carrie, uh, Helen, and um, Lloyd's daughter and the successful surgery of replacing the mitral valve in her heart that happened in, uh, up in uh, Cleveland Clinic, Lord, continue her healing. We thank you, Lord, for the immunotherapy that um, Andy Blankenship is undergoing, for the continued healing that Chris Rodriguez is having at home and Dean Llewellyn as well, Lord God. We lift up to you, O Lord, as well, uh, Jim House, as he's um, still awaiting that heart catheterization, Lord God, that you can protect him during this time and that you open up a, a timely opportunity for that process, that procedure to go on, that you bring him more energy and strength as a result and your healing upon him. Lord, we lift up to you again the plans that we have here at Thrive. We, we don't know what tomorrow brings, you know, um, and we have seen that time and again in this, uh, this whole, nobody would have seen this coming six or eight months ago, Lord. We didn't know anything about COVID-19, and yet it has changed a lot of what's going on in this world. And yet, Lord, we know this is in your plans. This can be in your plans. This is still part of your plans, Lord. And you can raise up your church and renew your church and refine your church throughout it. And we pray, Lord, that you give us humility and wisdom and patience that we um, 
we grow through this time as the body of care and love for one another and that we grow as well, Lord God, in your mission and outreach and service to this community. That's what you've always wanted, Lord Jesus. That's what you even taught us to pray about. And so we pray together this day, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.